welcome to the Job Shadow with Jody Bogus podcast. It's a big day here as we celebrate the launch of our first episode. Today I am talking with Michael Bogus, a senior executive for a leading electronic transit bus company. When the idea to record a career readiness podcast came to mind, he was the first person on my list to interview. Yes, he is my husband and my best friend. More than that, though, for almost 30 years, I have had the pleasure to witness him be bold and fearless in his career. It's only fitting that he shares his wisdom about being bold and persevering in all circumstances. As someone who has hired and mentored many throughout his career, he talks about the importance of sharing your story during an interview, being real and unafraid, contemplating grad school versus a job after graduation, He holds a Master's of Science degree in Electrical Engineering and provides great insight on the timing of obtaining that degree. All right, let's get started. So thank you, Michael, for joining me. Oh, you're certainly welcome. I was looking forward to it. Okay. So I know that your day is very busy and you have a lot going on. What is your role? What do you do? I'm the vice president of engineering and electric transportation company. My team does software and controls. They do thermal engineering. They do charging engineering and electrical engineering and mechanical engineering. So I have most of the engineering team. So tell us what your education background is. Sure. I'm I'm from Michigan, uh, born and raised. Once school at Michigan Tech where they get 300 inches of snow a year. I got my electrical engineering, <laughs> got my electrical engineering degree there. I think I graduated in February of 91 and then got married to my best friend. And then somewhere after our first child, I went back after my master's in engineering and at Oakland University. So accomplished that it was a huge deal. I was working for Chrysler at the time after working for General Motors. So a big automotive guy. And uh, yeah, that that's about it right now. I'm had various schoolings in uh, Black Belt, Six Sigma, problem solving, 5S, manufacturing, some op stints, some SQA stints, that type of thing. So hopefully that answered the question. No, that's great. I know some students get their bachelor's degree and then they immediately want to go into their master's degree. You, you did it differently. You got your bachelor's degree, was blessed to be employed by General Motors right away and then was recruited to Chrysler very shortly after that and spent the majority of your career at Chrysler, which is now, remind me what there's, Solantis. You've been through change of Chrysler being being acquired by Daimler and then Fiat and then now Solantis. So you've had the opportunity to be through many changes for students who are looking to go to grad school. What's your advice about finishing your bachelor's degree, being employed versus going on to grad school? Well, I think there's a few factors that go into that, right? I mean, obviously your personal factors go into that, whether you're going to get married or whether you're financially where you're at. One of the big pluses I had in waiting to go for my master's was my employer paid for my master's, which I'm sure we all know the master's classes are pretty expensive. So that being said, there is another another road right out of academia that says that you can go after stipends and that type of thing. And the and the and the um, university, if you want to stick with the and a university, that will that will pay you to go get schooling too. So there's a myriad of things, and I think it has to fit you personally, 
right? It has to, it has to fit your situation. Now, that being said, I can tell you right now, my appreciation for education improved like tenfold after I was over. Call it immaturity, call it whatever. I just wanted to get done with my undergrad and, and get to work. Part of that was just being a poor college kid, maybe. But when I went back after my master's, my thirst for learning improved exponentially. And I had an appreciation for what they were trying to tell me. It doesn't mean that you don't have that appreciation right when you're getting your, maybe you're a, a fast bloomer and you have that appreciation right away. It doesn't mean that you don't have it right now, but I'm just telling you, that's what worked for me. So I think you have to weigh all of those factors and be, write them down, right? And figure out where you want to go. The economy is another part of it. Right. When I got out, it wasn't a great economy, but I still wanted to go to work. Some of my friends basically went right after their master's degree because just the job market was. So, like I said, there's a myriad of things that can go around, go, go along with that. I think employers kind of respect that decision as long as you explain it. In some cases, maybe a onboarding process, you need to be aware that, hey, you know, you need to get those internships and those job shadowing opportunities because if you're going to do that, because if all you got is the school on your resume, you're going to work really hard to get your first gig. Okay. And so when you are in a role of, of hiring and mm -hmm. in interviewing, so if you, if you come across a resume and you have a candidate that has had some work experience and, and then another candidate who has had not work experience, but graduate school experience, what do you weigh in those situations between the two? So co-ops and job shadowings are, are invaluable, but, um, but I also look at very much the personality of the individual and every individual is different. Sometimes people, uh, including myself and, and I think in some cases, our, our daughters, you have to fight through school. You have to want it. You have to, you know, don't take no for an answer and pursue it. Some people, it comes relatively easy and they're blessed, right? I think you just need to push. If, if you're that type of person, and my only advice is if you're the type of person that you really have to work at it, don't give up, right? If it's what you want to do, if it's what you want to be, and if you can look back at it and be proud of it and finish it, that's what it's all about. And that's what employers are going to look for. And so as far as the personality and, and if you can talk to me and explain to me why um, you made the choices you made, whether you have an internship or a co-op or if all you have is academia or whatever, and and be honest with your future employer about, about your story and how you got there. I think that wins. Okay. A so another wait. thing too is, is that you just, I mean, you have to have confidence in walking in. It doesn't mean you know everything, right? But it means that you're willing to, that's the other tool in your toolbox is, is that no employer expects you to know it all, right? But what we do expect is that you will try and you will not give up. I think that's a really key point to share is that I think that some students, when I'm working with them, what I hear, and I don't know if part of it is just, you know, on social media, there's these influencers out there that have made it very quick. They have achieved goals at a young age very quickly. And students, when they're graduating, their expectations may not be realistic of where to start or they're thinking they get overwhelmed because they think that oh i'm jumping into this role i have no idea what i'm doing and i'm expected to know what i'm doing but i have no idea what i'm doing i'm going to fail and so there's kind of that self-talk that goes on 
And what I liked, as you just said, is that you're starting from, you know, the beginning and that there's patience for that. So tell me a little bit more that's reassuring to a student getting ready to graduate that they're not expected to know it all. Well, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, what we expect is when you get in front of an employer, we've already looked at your resume. You've already passed the first test, right? If we're talking to you, it means we found something intriguing about you in the words that you've given which means that we know a little bit about you. I usually start resumes or start interviews with, um, even though I've read the story, I want you to tell it to me. And I want you to lean, I want you to lean on your experiences. And, and the experiences may not be very deep in the area that you're interviewing for. It doesn't matter. There's read across in all of that. And what I believe, what I look for as an employer, what I think other people look for is that passion, that drive to want to learn and to want to do it correctly, and that integrity is that thirst is what we're looking for. And it doesn't have to be deep in the subject knowledge. You have to have, I mean, in my field, you have to have the engineering degree, but we all know what that means. That means a bunch of classes that were chemistry and differential equation, physics, and everything else that has to do with, with, with engineering. So we know you've passed that test and whether you've passed it with flying colors and, and you're a four point grade point stand, or you've passed it at a 2.8, which just said you struggled some more, but you still got through. You, What we're looking for is that passion where you can finish it. And when you pass the first test, you pass the second test with the resume, get in front of us. The next step is just explain your life and be able to communicate. And if you can do that and fall into the team and work in that environment, which most colleges drive teamwork now, then I, I think you're going to win. So when you look at over the breadth of your career and the hires that you've made, what would you say are the top three characteristics that you have consistently looked for over the years? Passion in their subject matter. Okay. Some type of comment about work ethic, whether it was delivering papers or working at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or whatever, you know, something that they've done that actually contributed to either the financial beans or school. I make a judgment whether... I think you will work together with the rest of the team. So your, um, so your ability to work as a it team? It has to be, you have to fall into the team. The place is a team, right? Which means we have each other's backs. People get sick, people go on vacation. That means you need to step in, sometimes do things that's not necessarily your job. And by the way, that's always recognized. When you pick up the slack, you see something that needs to be done and you're doing and you have time to do it and you're capable of doing it, that's huge to an, that's huge to an employer, right? Absolutely. I'm reading more and more about employers are not necessarily looking at grade point average. That used to be something that was looked at and therefore was incorporated into a resume. But now they're looking more at competencies and like you mentioned, being able to work as a team member, being able to communicate. You mentioned that too. And being able to lead themselves, right? Because if you don't lead yourself well, others will not follow you. So how, when you're looking at a resume, what, what's kind of the first thing that you're looking at, second thing you're looking at? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, besides educating, yeah, I get that, so, that's kind um, of the big filter. So today, in today's school, at least in engineering, I've got a lot of folks that have recently graduated and, and what I want to see is there's something called senior design projects. Senior design projects are mand mandatory. I didn't have to do one when I was going through school, but they're usually mandatory now. And they're a group of three or four kids or five kids or whatever that all get together 
and figure out who's going to do what to get to accomplish a goal. That's the teamwork piece. And I usually key in on those questions about um, well, how'd that go? And by the way, what'd you think of your team members? And who was the strongest and who was the weakest? And what did you do with the weakest? Right. Ooh, I mean, what did questions. you what did you do to to try to get to that common goal? Whether that was a discussion with the person that didn't want to do their job, or whether they had some sort of challenge at home, uh, maybe they they couldn't get there, their schedules were terrible, whatever. I want to see how you overcame that scenario. It's it's a pretty easy easy thing to go back to a professor and say, you know what, Johnny didn't Johnny just didn't pull his weight, and that's why we couldn't obtain. You know, that's why we couldn't drive to the objective and the goal. I want to hear is how did you overcome that? What steps did you take? And you still might have lost. You still might have not got there. But what steps did you take? Did you use everything in your toolbox to get to where you needed to be? Because you're going to run into that every day. When you go to work, you're going to run into that every day. And you have to figure out how to end around those those conditions and, and drive to the goal. And that's what leaders are made of. And I say every day from directors down to associate engineers that work for me. If there's one thing I ask them to be, I want them to be bold. I don't want them to be reckless, but I want them to be bold. And so that means ask about new things, try new things, figure out what the next steps would be, anticipate what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't just get it done. I call it the fire and forget. We get a lot of the, hey, fire and forget. And then the whole thing ends up as a catastrophe in the end. Follow up, right? Make sure it gets done. And that might even be where you're working a little bit outside your discipline and just checking in on your peers and your colleagues to make sure that this stuff happens. And then be proud and celebrate. That's the key. A lot of people don't do that. You know, in engineering, usually you're inundated with things that are broken. But And when it all goes right, nobody says a word. You have to celebrate your wins. Right? Absolutely. And assess lessons learned. College is such a great experiment field for preparing you for your career. My biggest thing is for students to not feel intimidated by the college experience, to, to be bold, to be confident, to know that it's okay if I didn't do well in this subject or this project didn't go well, and to have that accountability piece. What can you own in that? What can you do differently the next time? I like what you had to share about really focusing in on their senior design projects, because that's another thing too, is again, it points towards the relevancy of what you're learning in school and how that applies to your career. Some students feel like, well, I don't have enough in my background to apply for a job. I just have the degree, your group projects in school. Some students don't work in college or they work just during the summer and that's fine because that work experience, whether it's paid experience, it's volunteer experience, it's all personal growth experience. But there are, there are so many nuggets that lend well to preparing you for your career as do these group projects. I'm glad that you said that. I believe that students and even young engineers don't listen to, but it's absolutely true. They don't believe it, but it's absolutely true. What? That there's no such thing as a stupid question. Everybody is afraid that they're going to come across as not knowing what's going on. That was the day I fell asleep in class and I didn't get that formula or whatever. To be verbally engaged. Yes. I call it verbally fear fearless, but respectful, right? I like that. But to be engaged right. verbally and ask questions and even if you need to be caught up is much better than sitting in the corner being quiet 
because what happens is, is no matter how smart you are, you're not participating. You have to participate. And, and by the way, something's going to come out of you that's brilliant. I guarantee it. At right. some point in time, you're going to come up with something that nobody else thought of or a different way to look at something. And that is why you're sitting in the room. That's a great point. For those who are the quieter students or the quieter people on a team and who are spending more time observing, listening, you're exactly right because they're spending so much time listening and observing, they're picking up on cues and they're and the mind is going with ideas. You've experienced this where people just like to hear themselves talk. That's right. And they like to monopolize the conversation. They like to talk. For me, it's the quieter ones that I always want to know what their input is because I don't think that they've necessarily checked out that they're not engaged. I think that they're engaged, but maybe they're, they're unsure how to express what they're thinking, or they're not, there might be a confidence issue with that. But, but a lot of times it's those who are listening that actually have such wisdom to share and such great ideas to share. So I want what you said to be an encouragement to those who feel more comfortable being a little bit quieter and observing, but to encourage them that, hey, you know what, you probably have picked up on something that someone who has spent the whole time talking did not pick up on. And sometimes you don't get a manager that's intuitive with the knowledge that you just said. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you you can't, um, that person won't reach out and say, hey, you know, to, to Sally that's sitting in the corner that's being kind of quiet, what do you think? So sometimes you have to, there there's a piece, you have to be a little bold and to offer up those types of things. And I'm okay. Like I'm a little bit that way too, right? It's my strategy is to absorb what's being said, not, and I, because I struggle with a lot of people that like to talk and say the same thing over and over again, but I like to absorb and I like to listen to what's being said. And then at some point, honestly, my strategy is that I look at the clock because my day works on a clock. Meetings last either half an hour or an hour. And if, if we're saying the same things over and over again, for 50 minutes and we're in the last part of the, the meeting, somebody needs to get bold and come up with the action items, the agendas, the the, the things, the takeaways, right, to right. go forward, or the meeting was a waste. So those people that sit back quietly, sometimes it's a good practice to say, all right, I can listen, I can listen to the data for 30 or 40 minutes. And then that's about the time I have. Okay. I've listened to everything. Here's my takeaway and you can always say it, it's not monopolized. It's like, hey, what about this strategy? Or how, how, you know, this is what I heard. I'm thinking this direction. And usually those people will either, either you're dead wrong, which is okay. And they want to go a different direction or, or they fall in line and they go, yep, uh, that seems to be the way to go. And then you get actionable assignments out of where you're at. And interviews, I think, work the same way. I mean, I, I think you need to be interactive during interviews. And then there's that famous question at the end that I think all all interviewees need to be aware of and ready for. And, and I ask it every single time, by the way, do you have any questions for us? You need to be prepared for that question because yeah. now whether you want to research the people you're interviewing with or not the people, but the company you're interviewing with, um, why do you want to work for this company? That is a question that I often ask. And you have to show some passion in either whatever you're doing, whether it's a service or the product. Those two questions are, are pretty important and, and you need to be prepped for that in an interview. 
That's a good, absolutely. Yes. I always say three to five questions. Five is a little much, but three for sure. And you might have time to ask one or two. And one of the favorite ones I get back is, which is really a popular one, like what you do. Why do you work? Why do you love this place? I usually come back with it's family, it's a team, it's a product we all believe in. But regardless of what that answer is, you know, when you get an interested candidate, you're as much trying to sell your company to them as they are trying to sell themselves to you. That's right. When I'm um, doing interview prep sessions with my students, I do say this is the time while they are interviewing you, whether it's for a graduate program or it's for a job, you have to remember this is your opportunity to interview them and to really see, is this going to be the fit for you? And that's the importance of having those questions. Sometimes those questions can be asked during the interview. Sometimes you need to wait till the, the interviewer opens the floor up. And why I say to prepare five is that just in case some of your questions were answered throughout the interview. I get it. In some cases, you don't have the kind of worldly experience to do that. But if you flip it around on your interviewer, not to be, I'm not saying that you do this to be mean, but and right. ask, them, ask them what they're passionate about and That's ask right. them why they're there. You know, their experiences, I mean, they're either going to ring a tone with you or they're, they're not. That's right. So. I think this has been so helpful and I appreciate all that you've shared. I think that's a good place to end. Anytime, Jody. I enjoyed it. I thank you very much. 